This message comes from NPR sponsor, Capella University. With Capella's FlexPath Learning Format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Hey, it's Hannah and Elise here, and we are really excited to make more stories for listeners just like you. Because we're givers. We basically give and give and give. And through the selfless act of giving, boom, we basically change your life. And in the spirit of giving, we're proud to give you, the listener, the ability to give back. So this holiday season, give some of that giving in the form of cold, hard cash. Just visit donate.npr.org slash invis, I-N-V-I-S, before the year ends. Because when you give to your NPR station, you're giving to yourself. And that's self-love. We are literally giving you self-love when you donate at donate.npr.org slash invis. So, you're you're welcome. welcome. But seriously, thank you. We really appreciate your support. This is Invisibilia. I'm Elise Spiegel. And I'm Hannah Rosen. And today we are bringing you another bonus. We've been trying to do these um, pretty much every month. This one is from one of our fabulous producers, Yoe Shaw. Yoe, just explain what you got. Okay, so this story is about a moment where I totally did not see something coming. And I was just like, what? It was six years ago when I was teaching radio to teenagers in Philadelphia, and something really, really strange happened with one of my students that I just have not been able to get out of my head. So listeners, before we get going, I want you to know that there's going to be some cursing and talking about sex in this story. Also, we're only using the first names of some characters to protect their privacy. Okay, take it away. There are a few things in life that will make you cringe as hard as listening to a younger version of yourself. So, here we go. Closer to your mouth. Put it right in front of, right right below to the side of your mouth. No, 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 no. You got to point it at. The year is 2012, and this is me explaining to five teenagers how to hold a microphone as if it were a matter of life and death. Let me give you an example. Ha! Do you see how bad yeah. that sounded? It's way too loud. Yeah. So you want, ideally, you want to be around. Students later tell me I'm always, quote, super excited, which I think is code for intense. And it was. An intense, idealistic young person. We were on a mission to storm the castle of public radio and get young people of color and the stories they wanted to tell on the air. This was guerrilla warfare. And if we wanted to actually infiltrate the mainstream media, we had to make our stories sound professional so the people in suits couldn't say no. There you go. Follow the, follow the voice. I actually give a version of the speech to my students, and I think it goes a little over their heads. Most of them don't even listen to public radio, really. But the kids put up with me. Dutifully listen, nod their heads, raise their hands politely. All except for one girl, who's slouching in her chair, legs splayed out, her face buried in a paperback book. Basically, a teenage F.U. Her name is Aaliyah, and she's the youngest of the bunch at 14. Aaliyah is small and wiry, like a horse jockey, a tomboy in sweatshirt and jeans, no makeup. 
She has perfectly arched eyebrows and bags under her eyes, like she's just woken up from a nap. We go around the circle, spitballing about what stories they want to tell. A girl is going to college, but distressed about leaving her grandparents. A boy wants to make an homage to the literacy program he mentors at. But they got nothing on Aaliyah, whose story lands like a grenade, and I lean in closer. She announces she's in a rocky relationship with her on-and-off boyfriend named Samir, who she has a two-year-old daughter with named Zanaya, and she's trying to figure out if he's good or bad for her, whether she should go back out with him or focus on taking care of their daughter. And she needs advice. We send the kids home with recording equipment to work on their stories. And to my surprise, Aaliyah brings back the most tape out of anyone. In her case, all diary entries. These incredibly intimate recordings of her thoughts, feelings, and daily life. It's Monday, the 13th. I'm bored. She's refreshingly real behind the microphone. She says things kids don't normally say to adults, like getting grossed out by her mom's love life. My mom in a room with her boyfriend. I just heard them in there freaking. That's nasty. Like, I don't want to hear that. I'm right next door to y'all. Like, that's just nasty. Each week, she keeps coming back with new diaries. And they unfold like an R-rated inner-city soap opera. It's just too much. Like, I got pregnant at the wrong time. Aaliyah says her family thinks Samir is bad news. In fact, when Samir got locked up early in the relationship and wrote to Aaliyah... She says her older brother intercepted the love letters and stashed them under his bed. But they can't keep her away from Samir. She's googly eyes in love, even when he makes her angry by cheating on her. One day, she says she heard this loud knock on the front door. It was someone Samir was seeing on the side. So, I run downstairs. I had my pajamas and everything. I just got out the shower. I wrapped my hair up. She like... I want to fight you, you dirty-ass bitch. You stole my man. I'm like, listen, you're not even his baby mom. I'm his baby mom. So you need to get off my step. Listening to her diaries, it's a little like being on a roller coaster with a blindfold on. A lot of what I hear really concerns me. But it also sounds like one of the gritty youth radio stories that inspired me to do this work in the first place. There was drama, stakes action, even tragedy. One afternoon at workshop, Aaliyah gets a text saying that her boyfriend has gotten shot six times. When she tells me the news, I'm totally overwhelmed, ice in my veins. I've never known anyone who's gotten shot. The other adults and I don't know what to do, except to give her cab fare to get to the hospital ASAP. Like, forget about this youth radio thing. Life's real. Go be with your man. And I feel terrible for her. Aaliyah later tells us Samir miraculously made it through. But she's haunted by what happened, understandably. A few weeks later, she wakes up in the middle of the night from a dream where she got and shot herself. And when I woke up, I just started crying because, like, too much is that's going on. But I'm tired. And it's 4.24 at night. And the sun is about to come up. And it's 43 degrees outside. Bye. 
And then we're almost finished, about to record our final scripts in the studio, when Aaliyah disappears. At first, I think she's just under the weather, but weeks go by and no one hears from her. I get really worried. Maybe she got hurt in a fight. Maybe her daughter's sick in the hospital. Or maybe there's something else going on in Aaliyah's life that she can't tell us. On a sweaty spring day, I finally walk up to Aaliyah's front stoop to check on her. My teaching partner, Beth Patel, was there that day, too. Here's how she remembers it. If I remember correctly, it had um, sort of that, like, astroturf, green astroturf, like, covering it. And it was sort of like an unkempt porch. There was, like, stuff on it. And I was nervous because I felt, like, almost, like, invasive. Like, are we being invasive? Are we being, like weird social workers right now, like, showing up and knocking on someone's door and kind of, like, asking where their child is. When Aaliyah's mom opens the door, I try to dilute the weirdness by immediately telling her how proud we are of Aaliyah, how excited we are about her story. Aaliyah's mom looks confused, like she's surprised we're talking about her daughter. Oh, she says, turning to me. What's her story about? I give her the gist. And her mom just kind of, like, laughed it off and was like, she's lying, she's a liar, and, like, that's all. Aaliyah's mom almost seemed amused by her daughter's behavior, but I couldn't believe it. Aaliyah doesn't have a baby. Aaliyah doesn't have a boyfriend. She's lying. It didn't make sense. I remember standing on the porch with Beth, continuing to say reasonable words to Aaliyah's mom, while my brain just replayed all the diaries I'd heard. Were they all just an act? Should I go back out when I'm more? If my daughter was to grow up, I'm not a fighter. Like, that's not when I woke up, I just started crying because, like, too much is that's going on. Like, like, did you see that coming at all? No. (laughs) There's no way we could have predicted that. We had, like been listening to like hours of things she's recorded about this exact part of her life. Beth and I were so stunned, we didn't even think to ask follow-up questions. We just stumbled away from the porch. We had a deadline to hit, so we pushed forward with the other students' stories. They aired on the local station, and a few months later, another batch of students walked through the door. The years rolled by, and here I am today no longer teaching youth radio. But the mystery of what happened with Aaliyah has stayed with me ever since. I think of her from time to time, when I'm waiting in the grocery line or biking to work. Who was Aaliyah? And what was her life really like? What was true? What was not true? And why would she tell us that story? After the break... Yoe goes searching for answers. This message comes from NPR sponsor Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, one of the largest recipients of NIH funding. Dana-Farber scientists played a substantial role in developing more than half the cancer drugs approved by the FDA in the last five years, data through 2022. They've made one advanced cancer discovery after another for over 75 years. Dana-Farber Cancer Institute is changing lives everywhere. More at DanaFarber.org slash everywhere. This message comes from NPR sponsor Morgan Stanley. 
Inclusion is fuel for innovation. On Access and Opportunity, an award-winning show from Morgan Stanley, they take you inside the companies at the intersection of building equity for their communities and creating business solutions in overlooked areas of the market, from closing the women's sports pay gap to leveling the playing field in the music industry. Follow Access and Opportunity wherever you listen. Instead of scrolling mindlessly, engage mindfully with the NPR app. With a mix of on-demand news, stories from this station, and your favorite podcast, you can relax without shutting off your brain. Download the NPR app today. Before we get back to today's episode, just a quick reminder that this is a perfect time to donate to your local member station. I mean, giving back is actually good all year round, but the end of the year is the perfect time because we want to start 2019 off strong so we can keep bringing you all of the news and entertainment that you rely on. So donate to your local station or your favorite station or a whole bunch of stations. The important thing is that you give and you can do that now at donate.npr.org slash Invis. That's donate.npr.org slash I-N-V-I-S. Your support helps us make stories like these for listeners like you. And thank you. Welcome back. This is Invisibilia. So Yoe was in the middle of her story where she just found out that Aaliyah might be lying about her entire youth radio story. Yoe takes it from here. Being a journalist, you know, someone whose job involves sussing out the truthiness of stories and picking up on slippery vibes. Aaliyah's story being a fake just got under my skin. Recently, I listened back to her diaries, knowing what I know now, but she still sounded so real, so emotionally honest. And I hate to admit it, I felt almost vindicated. Like, phew, okay, maybe I wasn't that much of a dummy to believe her. It made me wonder if Aaliyah had pulled one over everyone else in the class. So I called up two other students from the program, Shayla Torres and Asim Smith, to see what they knew at the time. Honestly, I never thought she had a kid. It seems as though she had no problems with lying. Because she was just dramatic. Like, she would always have a new story, some off-the-wall crazy story that we were always just like, okay. Do you remember the workshop when Aaliyah's boyfriend got shot? I remember hearing about it, but I was like, girl, you're reaching. You are really reaching. You probably saw that coming. I certainly didn't. Which is why I demanded that Shayla and Asim walk me carefully through the red flags they noticed. To which they said there were a bunch of them. That she didn't have any pictures of her daughter. Or she never seemed to be able to get her daughter on tape. We remember hearing about her not being able to record things. And it was just really weird because if you're a single parent and your child is always with you. Oh, my God. There's so many. I feel I feel like a chump. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't you guys ever tell us or tell me? We didn't think it was our place. Um, but we also kind of thought it was like it was really obvious. Like the, the painting was on the wall. Obviously, I had no idea what was really going on with Aaliyah. It was time to get answers from the only person who had them. All right. Let's go in. 
Aaliyah is 21 years old now. It's been six years since I've seen her. But when I pick her up after a shift at Old Navy, I immediately recognize her on the street. The same perfectly arched eyebrows, small wiry build. Just now, a young graceful woman. We sit down at my kitchen table and eye each other up and down, almost like we're on a first date. Okay, so Leah, I've thought about you a lot over the years. Um, I run my version of events past Aaliyah, and we begin the careful process of fact-checking the past together, beginning with the moment I knocked on a front door. Yeah, like, were you there that day? Like, did your mom tell you about our conversation? Well, actually, I didn't know that you came to my house. My mom never said anything to me about that. Aaliyah wasn't there that day at her house, because she disappeared from her entire life. She says she got into a fight with a school police officer, and she bounced around juvenile detention centers around Pennsylvania for the next three years. At one point, Aaliyah says she started a riot on the inside, and she ended up getting 302'd. In other words, examined by doctors and moved to a mental health facility. When Aaliyah finally got out of juvie at 17, she told me she made up her mind to never go back, that she would remain free. And she has. Everybody that doubted me, everybody that, like, said bad stuff about me, like, I'm just happy to be here. I'm happy to see 21. I talked with Aaliyah's mom about all this, and she confirmed everything. And we also requested the official juvenile detention documents from those facilities and heard back from one that corroborated a lot of these details. But as far as the youth radio story that Aaliyah's mom said her daughter was lying about all those years ago... Well, it's more complicated than that. Samir is real. I have his name tattooed. Where's the tattoo? On my back, right here. Oh, but best believe it will be covered on my birthday because this tat been sitting here for too long. They broke up a few years ago, but Samir was real. I even talked to him on the phone. Like practically every teenage girl around the world, Aaliyah had neglected to fill her mom in on the details of her dating life. Though that part about him getting shot six times, Aaliyah says that was just a dumb joke he'd played on her. Yeah, I was pissed. I cursed him out. But what about Zania, her two-year-old daughter? Okay, so, like, the only thing that I lied about was the baby, mm. was the daughter. That's the only thing that I lied about was having a two-year-old daughter by Samir. I tell Aaliyah that my teaching partner, Beth, had a theory— that maybe the baby had something to do with the book she refused to put down during that first workshop. Is that true? Or is that not true? Well, yeah, it is true because it's like the books that I be reading, like they be so interesting. They're hood novels. It's with drugs, money, sex. Back then and to this day, Aaliyah has always been a huge hood novel nerd. As she tells it, she can read up to 15 ebooks a month. And when she was in the program, she was reading a novel called Justify My Thug. And there was a character, a girl around Aaliyah's age, who had a daughter and an absentee cheating boyfriend. And I felt as though, like, that reminds me so much of me. So I was like, all right, I'm going to switch it up a little bit. I'm going to make this as my own story. Ah! Uh Oh, my gosh. At the time, I didn't think that my story originally, what I was going to tell y'all, would be interesting. 
It was like the kids that was there and this, they was telling these stories. I was basically like in competition with them. So I was like, I'ma make my story words though. Like they be like, oh yeah, keep doing more. Like keep, I wanna know more, I wanna hear more. Did you notice any difference in how we reacted? Like how did we react? Yeah, I felt like y'all was paying more attention. Like I felt like y'all was like, all right, yeah, I like that story and stuff. That's why I just kept going on, going on, going on, going on. This was not what a journalist wants to hear. In fact, it's one of the things you fear most, participating in the creation of a lie. Maybe I'd been so hungry for an over-the-top story, I'd not only missed the real story, it pushed Aaliyah into a performance without realizing it. A total youth radio fail on my part. Um... Wow. I remember being, like, the most excited about your story. Mm-hmm. But then, now that I'm, I'm looking back, also, like, you know, you, you're 14 and you're, like, going through all these really hard things. Um, what do you think about that? Um, don't feel fucked up because it was, like, it was my own fantasy, basically. Like... It was just basically my own fantasy. Like, I knew what I was doing. So it wasn't y'all fault. It was, it wasn't nobody's fault. I feel like you're being very nice. Oh, I mean, wow. it's, I mean, I'm not, it's like not even about fault. It's like about, well, it's interesting because you said that. Aaliyah needs a cigarette. So we sit in my backyard and soak up the last rays of the afternoon sun. She asks how Beth is doing. And then Aaliyah tells me something I'm not quite able to process at first. Yes, Aaliyah lied about having a daughter back then. But also, Aaliyah did have a daughter back then. A baby doll she'd tell everything to. Wait, so would you talk to your daughter? Yeah. Everybody used to be like, who are you talking to? Like, who are you talking to? And I used to be like, my daughter. Aaliyah knows how weird this whole doll thing sounds, but she doesn't care. Back then, she needed an imaginary daughter to talk to and take care of so that she'd be able to take care of herself. Now, y'all understand because, like, when I needed nurture, that was my nurture, a baby doll. That was my source of comfort. Like, all I needed was somebody to listen to me. I really didn't need advice. I just needed to let let a lot of anger out that I had built up. Because if I don't talk to nobody, it's going to build up. And it's going to keep building up. Mm-hmm. And then it's like if somebody pissed me off to the fullest, I'm going to snap. And once I snap, it's over because it's like I got anger on top of anger on top of anger on top of anger. So it's like when I come home, I will go upstairs, lock my door, and talk to my daughter. So it was like, I would tell y'all, like, I got a daughter, and that was my daughter. Mm. Like, the baby doll was my daughter. Aaliyah is doing all right today. She just graduated high school. She's in a loving relationship with a girlfriend. And she hopes to write romance novels herself one day. She now even has a real, live, two-year-old son, who this time around, I got visual confirmation of. Aaliyah doesn't need the doll anymore. But that doesn't mean she's thrown her away. 
When she turned 16, she says she gave it away to a little girl who was a friend. Aaliyah doesn't know if she's using the doll in the same way. But Aaliyah doesn't need to know the full story. She just wants her to have someone to talk to if she needs it. That's producer Yoe Shaw. When we come back, Aaliyah takes over the mic with a story of her own. This message comes from Apple Card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase. That's 3% on products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hey, you guys. It's Lise here at Invisibilia, and we're always looking for ways to help you, our audience, navigate the world, which is why I come to you today with a recommendation for a new podcast series from NPR called Life Kit. It's hosted by different NPR reporters who kind of hunt down the smartest answers to everyday questions that you might have about nutrition or finances. So you want to find a financial advisor who won't scam you with fees, or you want to know how to get the most from your workout. LifeKit has you covered. Check it out in Apple Podcasts or at npr.org slash LifeKit. Welcome back. This is Invisibilia. And now a story we worked with Aaliyah to create telling the origin story of her imaginary daughter. Here is Aaliyah. The first time I meet the baby doll, I don't want her. In the living room, my dad pulls her out from behind his back. And when I'm told to open up my eyes, I'm like, ugh. She got blonde hair, blue eyes, a pink dress, and chestnut skin. It's not that I'm worried out by dolls or anything, It's just that dad only gives presents on Christmas and birthdays. Other than that, it's just straight cash. Cash he hustles for at A-Bob's Tone Company. Cash I want way more than a stupid baby doll. I look at her, then look back at him. Like, bruh, I'm 11 years old. I don't play with no baby dolls. Dad's face stays balled up. Not phased. It's one of the superpowers I got from him. If you was to see us walking down the street, you'd think we're mad. But in reality, we're straight. We're chilling. No one can see into us. Well, I spent money on it, and you're going to keep this doll, he says. You ain't got to open it. I threw that baby right into the closet. For seven months, she sits in a box, still in open. Then one afternoon, my mom and I get into it again. My little brother draws circles on the wall with a blue crayon, but my mom doesn't believe it's not me. I rage at her, and she rages right back in my face. You always put the blame on your little brother. You don't never take responsibility for yourself. Back then... Everybody thinks I'm a liar. And I did lie. About homework, boys, getting suspended. But this time, I wasn't lying. Why wouldn't anyone hear me? I stomped up to my room and flopped on the bed. 
And out the corner of my eye, I notice a flash of pink in my closet. And for some reason, I'm drawn to her. I open the box, set the doll on my bed, and face her. We stayed like that for five minutes, stuck in a staring contest. And to be honest, I'm a little weirded out. It's like she really is looking back at me. So I start talking, just like I'm talking to you now. Nobody wants me to have peace in this house. They don't give a fuck about me, bro. Sorry, little kid Aaliyah was foul. I want the doll to talk back to me and give me feedback. But of course, the doll just keeps staring at me. And surprisingly, it feels great. She is such an effective listener. I called the doll Zanaya and paint green nail polish over her blue eyes because my favorite color is green. I talk to Zanaya a lot, sometimes for hours. At night, I lock my room, sit her on my bed against the wall, put a pillow behind her, or cradle her in my arms. I tell Zanaya about things that I tell no one else. When I popped my first Xanax, when I first had sex with a girl, about the time I'm hanging with two friends in the park and bullets start flying. When my dad goes to prison and I can't just call him up anymore, at least I have her. One night, my mom comes home from work and she hears me talking in my room. She comes upstairs and asks, who are you talking to? I tell her nobody. She feels around my room, goes through the closet, checks under the bed, but doesn't find anyone. Good, it's none of her business anyway. My real baby, Aiden, is born January 9th, 2017 at 12.50 p.m. And when I hold him for the first time, I think they're giving me the wrong baby. His skin is way lighter than mine's, and his eyes are just little slants. Being a full-time mom now, I love it, and I love him, of course. But I have to say, there are some advantages to having an imaginary kid over a real one. I can't just put my son in the closet when I'm tired of him. And he cries and squirms while Zanaya wouldn't move or say nothing ever. But I think the main difference is that Zanaya's job was to comfort me. And now I have to comfort Aiden. Sometimes I try to tell him when his grandmama is getting on my nerves, but he won't sit down and let me talk. He does do one thing to comfort me that Zanaya couldn't. When I cry, Aiden wipes my tears with his tiny hands and sometimes even cries in solidarity. Now, that's a good baby. That's Aaliyah.
That's it for today's show. Invisibilia is hosted by me, Elise Spiegel. And me, Hannah Rosen. Our show is edited by Ann Gudenkoff. Kara Tallow is our executive producer. Invisibilia is produced by Megan Kane, Yoe Shaw, and Abby Wendell. Our project manager is Liana Simstrom. We had help from Jake Arlo, Julie Carley, David Goodhertz, Mark Mehmet, and Micah Ratner. Fact-checking by Greta Pittenger and help with editing from Maria Paz Gutierrez, Anjali Sastri, and Parth Shah. Our technical director is Andy Huther, and our vice president of programming is Anya Grunman. A huge thank you to Aaliyah and to her entire family. Also to Beth Patel, Kyle Pulley, and all of the amazing former students and volunteers of the Philly Youth Radio Program. And to Haley Howell, a version of this story originally appeared at the fabulous pop-up magazine. Thanks also to Young Carts for the song Liberal, Liz DeLise for the song Slow Carnival and First Swim, Stephen Ritchie for the song Constellations, and Blue Dot Sessions for additional music used in the episode. For all things Invisibilia, visit our website, npr.org slash invisibilia. Now for our moment of non-zen. No, 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 no. That's like a, a core part of your identity. No, 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 no. We have more bonus episodes coming your way, so stay tuned. This message comes from NPR sponsor REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways to opt outside. This message comes from Wondery with the new podcast, Black History for Real, weaving Black History's most overlooked figures back into their rightful place in culture and the world at large. Listen to Black History for Real on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts.